The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 71. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the first season Discovery episode, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, uh, which is itself an episode-length title. (laughs) (laughs) Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. How do you, Dom? And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Uh, Folks, if you are listening to this, uh, someone shared the episode file with you, or you're listening on our website, be sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. Or you can go to the SQPN YouTube channel where you could subscribe there and be sure to hit the bell to get notifications when a new episode goes up. So before we get into discussing today's episode, we had some news, uh, which as you're listening to this is maybe a couple weeks old, but some news about uh, Star Trek, the new new Star Trek series. Uh, to Star Trek Discovery Season 3, the short treks that uh, they had promised us, a second season of short treks, and the new Star Trek series, Picard. So let's take these in order. They they dropped a, they dropped a lot of information at New York Comic Con. It was incredible. Yes. Just kind of all of a sudden, oh, okay. Here's everything you need, you've been waiting to hear about. So let's first talk about the uh, Discovery Season 3 and its trailer. Um, <clears throat> first up, the big, the big news out of this is it picks up basically where we expect where we kind of thought it would, but it's still mm-hmm. somewhat surprising, which is yeah. discovery is now nine hundred and fifty years in the future yep um yeah which- and it and it looks like the federation no longer exists, and there's a guy who wants to rebuild it and this is actually a series idea that was floated a long time ago, decades yeah. ago, but they're mm-hmm. finally paying it off when uh, they were looking at after Enterprise ended, and a few years later, they were talking about bringing Star Trek back. This is um, back in the early teens of of, the, of this t- time period, at least uh, is when I most recently heard about it. Was there was this idea of uh, a series that takes place decades later, maybe a hundred years after the uh, events of uh, Star Trek: Next Generation, where it would be this time of the when the Federation in decline. Um, mm. And there was this; they would show this this sort of degraded time period. Whereas this is goes much further, and this is about the time of the short trek Calypso, is it not? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that might explain why Calypso is aboard Discovery, and that Discovery hasn't actually been sitting around for a thousand years, well, maybe, or and, has it? And they they are, they've been very coy because I think so. I remember reading where someone asked if Calypso was going to play in, and Kurtzman was just kind of like, I don't know, we'll see. You know, he's playing kind of coy to mm-hmm. say whether or not it actually is going to tie into the next season. Okay, they they had a uh, scene in the trailer where 
someone from the future is walking across a very interesting looking green bumpy landscape with Michael Burnham. And I thought that guy was from the same civilization as mm, uh, as Kraft from Calypso. Yep. Okay. Also, we got to see future Trills and future Andorians. Yep. Oh, right. That's right. And uh, and and we also the uh, the other thing we know is that a year takes place or or passes mm-hmm. from when they get there to when really the action really picks up. Like for at some point we go we span a year and Burnham is separate from the rest of the right. crew as, as you recall. So she's trying to get back to Discovery. Also, um Giorgio, the Mirror Universe Giorgio who is now with Section 13 is with them in the future. And mm-hmm. gi- given that they're d- developing a series based on Giorgio and Section 13, uh I think that 31. 31. Uh, sorry, 31, not 30. Yes, Section 31. Um we probably have an idea of how this is all at least somebody's getting back to the pres- the 24th century, I think. Yeah, they've indicated guess. they've indicated the Section 31 series, which will feature Giorgio, will be filmed after Discovery Season 3. So either everybody gets back or at least Giorgio gets back. Right. 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 So uh, I, I, the trailer looked interesting. Uh, obviously, there's not a lot there to, to base anything off of. They, they don't tell us very much in these trailers, but we get an idea of, you know, uh, who's there and what's going on. Uh, we see a lot of the, the, the characters from Discovery in civilian clothes at some point one time one point or another mm-hmm. so that's interesting um and uh that never happened on voyager <laughs> yeah yeah well and that's another uh thing people could compare it to is, is oh yep here's another ship uh starfleet ship cast off far away from home uh where they have to make their way home from a very far distance in this case in, across time rather than space so it'll be interesting to see how they how they deal with that um so any any other thoughts about the the trailer or the news about Discovery's third season? Not so much. We don't really have a we don't know when it will air. It will undoubtedly be the first episode will be after the entirety of the Picard first season, which we'll talk right. about in a minute. Uh so don't expect that till. They have said that eventually they want to have it where on CBS All Access there are Star Trek episodes all year. Right. That as one ends, now the next be one, one, one season. Yeah. yeah, one season leads into the next episode, or next season leads into the next season, and it's just a continuous cycle of of uh, series going on, which is yeah. kind of interesting, an idea actually. Yeah, uh, kind of cool, and that way you don't have to try to watch all start you know be overloaded with Star Trek. Uh, it'll cause interesting issues for us as we try to do what yeah. we do on Secrets of Star Trek. We'll have to make some decisions about how to handle that, but uh, maybe there's some series like the animated ones we won't cover. Uh, episode by episode or something like that but uh, frankly it's a nice problem to have uh the uh so so given that time frame my guess is we're not going to see anything from discovery at the earliest until june that's my guess Um, Mm -hmm. i don't know it's reasonable guess yeah yeah it is possible we won't see anything until next fall frankly but uh, i mean i i I would i would say earliest would be mid-april would be the absolute earliest but only because of the next item of news that we're gonna Right, but with Picard, which is yes, the the Picard. We have a we have a premiere date for Picard. Yay! Yay. Uh, it will it will drop on CBS All Access and Netflix for those of you who are not in the U.S. Uh, on January twenty third, uh, which is yep. a Thursday, and uh, we got a new trailer for that season as well, which gives us a little bit more information about the series. Not that, yep. not a lot. It's a lot of what we've already seen in the previous trailer. Um, we definitely have Borg. 
we have some interesting people who might be Borg without the uh, uh, without the things on them, or they mm. might be you know the the mechanical devices, or they might be uh, androids. I, I could it was hard to kind of say there might be something right. a little cross between them. Um, so, uh, what'd you think of the the news that that's coming and the the trailer, the second trailer? I was kind of surprised by the date because that happens to be my dad's birthday, so that'll be an easy one for me to remember when the card will start. Um, yes. You know, one thing we did see is we uh, got to see Deanna Troy and Will Riker. Oh, uh, right. Married yeah, with there. with a kid. You know, this has been rumored for a while that they're going to be in it and that they're going to be you know still married and have have a child who was named for Troy's sister who was killed. And That's right. Those were all confirmed as part of the trailer. Yep. Uh, and that was really awesome to see. I was really, I really liked that moment between Riker and Picard and Picard saying to Riker, you going to stop me from doing whatever he's about to do. And Picard says, I've learned my, I mean, Riker says, I've learned my lesson a long yeah. time ago, uh, which goes back to that first episode where Riker tells him that Starfleet protocol is captains don't go on away yeah. missions. Some fans I've seen are kind of disappointed that we're not going to see the, the Titan, which was the ship that Riker and Troy were assigned to. Uh, that Riker took over as captain. We're not going to see it because they're yeah. out in a cabin out back in Alaska. 20 years later, they're going to be on that same ship. That is yeah. not how military careers work. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. How long was, <laughs> was Kirk on the Enterprise? Oh, I mean, <laughs> it well, got two, it back multiple two times. missions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, but no, so we get to see that uh, they settled back in Alaska where, where Riker is originally from. At least I'm assuming it's Alaska because it's obviously, you know, beautiful trees and it's probably actually Vancouver, British Columbia. But, you know, I thought they, it was Kirk's know, cabin from Generations. <laughs> yeah. Um yes, that was that was kind of cool. Jimmy, what did you think of the trailer? I thought it was interesting. It didn't reveal a, a huge amount that we didn't already know. We did get to see more of 7 of 9. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it seems that she's serving as some kind of like sort of mercenary or something where she helps people by using guns in both hands at the same time yeah. and shooting <laughs> at things. So maybe some kind of vigilante role for her or something. Having to do with the the Borg who are in this prison camp, maybe? Maybe. Mm. Uh, we also got to see more of Data, except it was in a dream. So mm-hmm. we know that yeah. Picard's dreaming about Data. Yep. And we got to see him call his dog number one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, well, that's that reminds me of the, the dream. Um, they're in the TNG era uniforms. And you see, a, like, a hollow depiction of the Enterprise D, which, of course, right. some fans immediately geeked out about as well. So Right, right, right. And uh, Data's painting something, and, yep. uh, yeah, it's a whole dream sequence. I, I find it interesting, the makeup they're using for Data, it's not quite the same as the makeup from the show. And I wonder if that's a deliberate design change or, or what. I mean, some of this, some of the differences in appearances are just because the actors are older. Patrick Stewart looks a little more skeletal. Jonathan Frakes looks way less skeletal. Yeah. <laughs> we know where where, Picard, where Stewart's uh, weight went. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Brent Spiner's facial proportions have changed a bit. Well, the the makeup might be due to the fact that they're now filming in HD. You know, the, the, the quality of the recordings right. are better. So maybe the makeup that they had for back in the 80s and even the, into the when they're doing the, the movies uh doesn't look good on the new equipment. 
That's my guess. Maybe. It also may be just the constant producer's desire to change things just for the sake of changing them. Yes. That is but true. like you look at his eyes and his contact lenses are way bigger now. Yes. Um, right. And his face just seems differently proportioned. Part of me wondered is, are they digitally compensating and not quite getting it right for mm. weight that Brent Spiner may have gained in the intervening oh, yeah. years? Mm. Yep. Yeah, because Riker could get heavier, but an Android doesn't. Android yeah, has to look the same. So they're probably de- trying to de-age uh, Brent Spiner for the role. Exactly. That's true. Um, all right. So, the, And then the third piece of news was Short Treks. We've been waiting for the yes. second season of Short Treks to drop. And, in fact, we have a Short Trek available now, another one later this week as we're recording, and then coming out about once a month until into January. Um, and uh, just to let you know, we will be discussing the Short Treks as they come out in detail. Uh, yep. But uh, for patrons, we'll be recording those and putting them on Patreon, and you'll be able to listen to those there. And, and if, especially if you have a, there's a special feed just for patrons, so and you can check that out on Patreon. In fact, if you go there uh, to Patreon.com/slash/StarQuest, you'll be able to. Well, I'll put some explanation there for how to subscribe to your special patron feed. But those those who aren't patrons yet, uh, it, don't don't despair. Uh, we will bundle all these uh, discussions together and release them in January just before Picard drops. So we'll have yeah. all of the discussions available then. But, you know, if you become a patron, uh, you, that's a special benefit we want to make to those who help make yeah, th- was, this show possible. That was, I think that was the biggest surprise of that panel was they basically said, oh, and by the way, the first Short Treks is available now. Right. And they, they timed it on it? CBS. Hmm? Did they show it at the uh, Comic-Con, do you know? I don't think they did. I don't think okay. they did. I think what they did, though, is they timed it so that it released on CBS All Access at the, as the panel ended. Oh, and I okay. think that, I, It sounded like there was a little bit of technical difficulties, but it was within a few minutes of the panel ending that you could go on and then watch it. And okay. this first short track is the one that focuses on Spock and number one. Yes, which, stuck, stuck in the elevator, which is a classic uh, trope. Uh, trope. Written by Michael uh, Shabin, I forget how you pronounce it, Shabin, I think, uh, the so. the author, who is also executive producer and showrunner on Picard. So very mm-hmm. interesting there. So uh, I just have one question for you, Dom. Mm-hmm. Do you like eggplant? <laughs> oh, undoubtedly. That's a spoiler for the... Yeah. Spoiler for the the patron only episode, which we'll be recording right after this. So right, right. If you listen to raising the bets of of episode nineteen, you'll hear how much I like uh, eggplant. <laughs> so uh, very good. So that's that's the news. Uh, so very interesting. And so let's get into talking about uh, this today's main topic, which is uh, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry discovery season uh, one, which is the uh, fourth. Now I don't remember fourth episode of the season. Yes. So let's start by talking about the title and how ridiculous oh. it is. Um, <laughs> it's it's really kind of pretentious, over the top, and hard to figure out. I had, I mean, I, I, I think the first time I watched this, back when we originally looked at uh, Discovery Season 1, I, I don't recall having an interpretation of the title. Obviously, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry sounds dramatic and sinister. I also, it also raises questions in my mind about, wait, shouldn't the lamb already be dead before a butcher starts to, you know, use it, use his knife on the lamb? Yeah. 
Well, maybe I mean, not in the old days. Maybe not, <laughs> but I mean, I know like today they will stun cattle before killing them, and then <laughs> they kill them before they cut them up. So yep. I, it raised questions in my mind about is this even accurate? I don't know if it's a quote from somewhere. Maybe it is. But I think this time around, I, I kind of got an interpretation of what it may mean, even though it's a little hard to relate to the episode. I think the butcher's knife is symbolically represented in this episode by, by Tori from Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. um, Rekha Sharma, who yeah. plays Landry, Landry, the, yeah. uh, the security officer. She is the butcher's knife. She she doesn't care at all about the tardigrade and the and the tardigrade's motives and sufferings and things like that. She just wants to make it into a weapon of war. And I think the tardigrade is the lamb because it's perceived as being this sinister thing that they can use as a weapon of war, but really it's harmless. If you mm-hmm. don't attack it, it won't attack you. It uh it's really a gentle thing. And so I think the tardigrade is the lamb and Landry is the butcher's knife. Maybe. Perhaps also um, it has multiple connections in this episode because um, it could be that Valk is also the lamb mm-hmm. and Takuvma's um, vision is the butcher's knife. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's essential the idea of the, the, the sacrifice of the weak for the greater good. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And and there's you know a Christian allegory in that sense where Christ is the the Lamb who is sacrificed for our, our sake, um, mm-hmm. who's sac- you know sacrificed at, uh, on the cross. Uh, so there's this idea of the butcher's bill. It's the butcher's bill must be paid in one. In, right. If you want to kind of extend the metaphor a little bit, where <clears throat> whatever the uh, whatever the cost, you know the 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 some are sacrificed. Yeah. Yes. So if that's the incomprehensible title, we can then move on to the incomprehensible opening sequence. It's one thing I am glad about is, and maybe that was a change with getting rid of uh, Brian Fuller and moving to Alex Kurtzman, is they also got rid of these really strange titles that the first season had, especially, you know, just looking yeah. through the list of list of titles, especially in the first chapter, the first half of the first season, those mm-hmm. went away. And I think that was probably one of the changes that Kurtzman made. Right. Thankfully. Right. <laughs> so we have this weird opening sequence where there's this kind of metallic crystal lightning landscape that yes. is rapidly changing in front of us. And we have no reference point for what this is until they back up the camera and we realize we've been watching the interior of a replicator fabricating a uniform. And so Michael yep. has now got her official uniform with no rank, yep. but she's no longer going to be wearing her prison garb on the ship. Right. And I thought I thought to myself, you know, this is a great idea this re- showing us the interior replication process and having it look that weird and strange. And and mm-hmm. I thought they have so much money that they can just <laughs> yeah. blow on a sequence like this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it's a right. cool. I mean, it's a cool. I thought it was kind of a cool sequence though, but yeah, it's just okay, it, that must be nice. <laughs> it, it didn't have any re- you know real connection to anything else in the episode, I don't think. I, I, it's just they they did it because it was cool, you know. To, yeah. Well, and there to there was the there was the idea of putting on the uniform again, you know. Well, putting having, the uniform on certainly, yeah. But I mean, but it it, it kind of was building up to that, you know. I think is you know showing yeah. that this this kind of this powerful moment for Burnham of getting to put the uniform on again, 
rebuilding the uniform uh, in the replicator is sort of like rebuilding her connection to Starfleet and rebuilding yeah. her life. I mean, th- there's there's a bit of a. a I mean, there, there, again, there's there's you can you can you can allegorize it as you know like that, but I mean, yeah. it, it's it's still a cool scene. Yeah. So uh, then Tilly c- comes in with a package for Burnham. It it's a, some sort of container, lock container that has a, a a specific you know lock that only one person can open. It's the last will and testament to Philippa Giorgio. And as soon as Michael learns that, she yanks her hand off and doesn't yes. want to proceed any further with it. Right. It's whatever Giorgio left for her uh, in her will. Yeah, although they could have been a little clearer about that because the, it says, Michael Burnham, do you accept the last will and testament of Philippa Giorgio? And it's like, is this part of a legal process? Are you going to read the entire will here? Right. Yeah. But apparently it's just the part that's relevant to Michael. Right, um, and it's beeping the, until she until she opens it. I, I know, which is so ridiculous. Tilly tells us it won't stop beeping until you open it, and hours later, at the end of the episode, it's still under her bed beeping, and that's like really rude to Tilly, and it's also really implausible. You should be able to say, "Alexa, shut up," and have it stop. Yes. <laughs> 21st century technology responds to Alexa, "Shut up!" Right now. Yeah, I don't know how many of us have had that smoke detector that you can't find because you've got three of them and you can't figure out which one is it. <laughs> uh, which one is beeping in? Th- I yeah. solved that by taking the batteries out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I live dangerously. So uh, if, it turns out that Saru, the first officer, wasn't informed by Lorca about Burnham staying on the ship. And, and he, he finds out when Burnham walks under the turbo lift with him wearing uniform, uh, which is... Uh, it's very, very disturbing that Lorca would neglect to tell his first officer this information. Yep. But Saru manages to tell uh, Burnham the duty roster lacks an opening for mutineer, <laughs> which was <Yeah>. a good line. <laughs> Ooh, what a burn. That Come was good. quite a burn. A burnum. Uh, they oh. arrive at the bridge where there's a battle simulation going on that is not going well. And Lorca is both aggressive and even angry while not doing anything to help. He's just blurting out well what are you doing do that he's not giving specific orders he's sort of just letting the the crew flail at this battle simulation Mm -hmm. no wonder why they've they it doesn't go well they have no leadership in the center seat so well i i kind of took it as he's trying to get them to be able to handle this kind of situation if he's not around because if you're a captain do you the ship may enter battle at any moment in a war if you're not on the bridge they need to be able to handle things without you but somebody is in charge like it it, yeah there's a there's a con officer or a duty officer or officer of the deck right that would be in charge so i mean i i get i see what you're saying i still think it's a bit uh, i think what it's supposed to do is to tell us a little more hint a little more at Lorca his true nature as Mm -hmm. as you look at this in retrospect after, after you watch the first season you say, oh, yeah. There, and there are clues scattered throughout. Um, like the fact he didn't tell Saru about Burnham. Exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, I like, though, the fact that they're using the view screen to run this battle simulation, and they don't tell the audience initially this is just a simulation. So for right. all the audience knows on a first-time watch, this is a real battle they're in all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, it's very striking because they're on the Saru and Burnham were on the, the turbo lift. There's nothing going on. There's no alarms. And when the door opens, there are alarms. Now, if there was a real battle, of course, the alarms would be going on throughout the ship. So, yeah, yep. it, it, it does strike us as strange at first. Um, we're told that the, that the drive is called a displacement-activated spore hub drive. That might be the first time they've actually come right out and say it. Um, 
and Lorca takes Burnham to what's obviously an uninhabited deck. There's just because as they're walking through the corridor, the lights are coming on, so there's no one else mm. on this deck. And there's a lab there with the lab we saw at the end of last season where they're keeping the the uh, the spore tardigrade. And mm-hmm. uh, the lab has some of the deadliest weapons in the known galaxy. And uh, including what look like piles of alien meat on trays, and I'm going, <laughs> how is that a deadly weapon? Uh, maybe they're like uh, the Absorbaloff or something. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, the, he points out that uh, Burnham is a xenoanthropologist. That's her specialty, mm-hmm. and he wants her to do weapons research on the tardigrade, figure out what its claws and hide are made of. That's, that's because his... it resists phaser fire and can slice through hulls. Yes, uh, and having that sort of ability uh, would seem to be useful well, in a war um, so his claws must be adamantium oh wait that's that's uh, <laughs> marvel that's right uh so we we then switch perspective to uh the binary stars uh where we had the battle at the binary stars because there's only one set of binary stars in the galaxy and valk is aboard takuvma's ship with uh Lorel, and it's six months later and it's still disabled from the battle their engines don't work they're running out of food and the other Klingons have, haven't rescued them because it's I not know. the Klingon way, maybe? They haven't brought them spare parts. They haven't brought them food to this point. It's they the Apparently, King. this is some kind of religious thing. It's like yeah. this yep. ship is a religious artifact, and we've got to fix it in this religious way. We can't have... We can't have any other explanation for why we're being so ridiculous about this. So it's religion. Well, and part of the ridiculousness, ridiculousness is that the part they need is sitting right there on the wreckage of the Shenzhou, which is still there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they Lorel, need to get the dilithium thing off the Shenzhou. Right. Laurel convinces Valk, set aside your purity and use the Shenzhou's wreckage to fix this ship. And... She talks about bridging the two houses of her parents. One parent is a warrior caste. The other is from some kind of spy caste. Mm-hmm. Uh, they work in underheated ways, hint, hint. And, um, and then says Valk can bridge Takuvma's vision with the needs of the present. So, so it's sort yeah. of a religious debate that we're getting here. They, she also talks to Valk about how he wasn't nearly as concerned about purity when they ate Captain Giorgio and he picked the flesh off of her skull. <laughs> yeah. That, that Ouch. Was very, Yikes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very explicit uh, uh, imagery there. That was, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel, I feel like the Klingons in, in this Discovery uh, series might also not have too many qualms about cannibalism of their own, perhaps. Uh, hmm. It just kind of strikes me as the the Klingons of this vision. Uh, so, um, so we they we we leave Takuvma. I mean, we leave uh, Valk and, and Laurel here and go back to Burnham and Landry working together to study the Tardigrade. And uh, Burnham says to Landry, "Yo, you judge the creature by its appearance and by a single incident from its past." And I was as I was thinking about that, I'm like, "Hmm, that's is that foreshadowing of." Uh, Valk slash Tyler coming there. Uh, it's also kind of foreshadowing of of uh, Burnham herself. Well, yeah. I, I think it was it was clearly Burnham talking about herself as much as she was talking about the tardigrade. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I missed. Uh, I can't believe I missed that. But yeah, that that's a good point. That she's trying to, you know, uh, rede- she's hoping to redeem herself. Landry's having none of it. She she dislikes. She clearly dislikes Burnham. Doesn't yeah. trust her. 
I, um, I like at one point uh, Burnham says this creature can only be what it is, not what you want it to be. And and right. Tori gets to say, it reminds me how much I hate Vulcan proverbs. <laughs> <laughs> she also says uh, Lorca isn't interested in what you are, but what you can do for him in his war effort. Uh, so the, there's a, a she kind of points out that Lorca, you know, is is utilitarian when it comes to the very, very, the very single minded about the war effort. Right. Or. Something anyway. Something. His real his real mission. Um, we sh- shift to Lorca eating uh, lunch or dinner in his office, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. some sort of octopus thing, and he has a pet tribble on his desk. Yep, and uh, and a bowl and fortune cookies, and then uh, Admiral Cornwell calls him up on the vid phone. Right, there is a Klingon attack on the Dilithium myth mining planet Corvan, which. Alone Corbin generates two. Corbin two generates forty percent of the Federation's dilithium. One planet. Yikes! Wow. That is like really an un- unsafe strategic situation. Yeah, it's a good thing they have a, like maybe two fleets to defend it. Oh no, yeah. they have a small task force that's been overwhelmed by the Klingons by three birds of prey. Yeah, you would think <laughs> that they would put more assets around their major defense industries. <laughs> right. Yeah. Also, they make it sound like if we lose Corvin 2, which will happen in a matter of hours, and we know that. Ticking exact, yeah. exact Down to the exact second of how long. Right. Yeah. They, uh, that it's like every ship in the fleet is going to run out of dilithium like by tomorrow or something. <laughs> I mean, how often do the ships need new crystals? Right. It, it, well, and then we know from the original to the original series. There's at least a dilithium mining operation, so, you know, automated somewhere out by the edge of the galaxy, uh, you know, that where, the, where they went and where no man has gone before. And then there's uh, some dilithium miners that we see with Mud's women. So there's like, at least a few other mines out there. It's, yeah. Like why? Like it's just that making the stakes way too big. Just oh, yeah. make it. There are a bunch of people about to die. We have to save. How about which, that? Which, which is what they end up doing. They play right. the recording of uh, of the miners talking about mm-hmm. how dire their situation is, and we hear little children screaming and stuff. That's what the real stakes are. That forty percent of the dilithium supply is going to be gone tomorrow is mm-hmm. <laughs> unnecessary. Right. They. They. I mean, even if it was like say five percent of the dilithium supply. That's still a big enough deal for them to go and save it. I mean, it's an important strategic resource. Plus the people, let's save it. Boom. It's just yeah. it's a, it's the typical writer's uh, a trap of making the stakes too high. Uh, so they have to get there, you know, yesterday. And yeah, and 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 um, Lorca, when Admiral Cornwall says, "Can you get there?" and he's like, yeah. "Oh, totally." And then Stamets <laughs> is like, "Totally not." <laughs> yes. Yeah, he says that navigation by the spore drive at this point is probabilistic. The longer the jump, the more the possible outcomes of where they're going to end up. Mm-hmm. And they're not sure why the Glen was able to do what it did, though they salvaged some of the equipment from the Glen. Um, and that's what this episode is going to tell us about. And, and they don't know how it works because apparently there's nothing in the hard drives in this equipment to tell you how it works. <laughs> uh, conveniently, all the recent logs were scrambled. Right, conveniently, uh, but we know that this goes there and that goes there, uh, and there was not a super. There wasn't an extra supercomputer laying about. Uh, that they need a supercomputer to to do the navigational co- computations. And uh, Lorca asked, one. "Wasn't there one there?" And it's like, "Yo, in running through the ship, I kind of missed 
that supercomputer that was just I, sitting no, around. I actually like the way you put that is even as we're running through the ship, you know, for our lives, I really would not miss something like a supercomputer just sitting there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, maybe they shouldn't have blasted the Glen into bits at the uh, afterward. You know, to, maybe they could have towed it away or something, just in case you needed something that was still on it. Uh, yep. So that forward thinking. Uh, back to the the uh, binary stars, the Klingon Cole, who we'll see a few more times in in the uh, this season, shows up and meets with the Kuvma and Lorel, and he's acting all uh, uh, obeisant. He's you know b- kneeling before them. Um, because he wants the cloaking device that the uh, Takuvma ship has, and they refuse to give it to him. And there's a there's a whole discussion here, a lot of the talking in Klingon about um, Takuvma's rightful heir and stuff like that. Not, not not I didn't find it all that compelling and didn't really advance the story. I much. don't find all the Klingon talking through that hideously thick plastic foam, yeah. whatever it is, makeup helpful. Yes. Yeah. It, I, yeah. I, it I, sounds I, very muddy. I really wish, and, yeah. yeah. It's just not well done. I really wish yeah. they had gone with the, the, the sci-fi trope of let's just pretend they're talking another language, but they're really have the actors speak in English and just be done with mm-hmm. it. Like I just, yeah. it, it just, it, it, this Klingon language that they're using is just too cumbersome. Yeah, and that's not even a sci-fi trope. I mean, it is a sci-fi trope, but it's it's predates that because yeah. it's used in all kinds of stuff. I mean, I know in World War II era films, you see Germans talking with British accents. You know, they're talking in German. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is kind of goes into Star Wars, where the uh, Imperials all speak in British accents. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Discovery's first jump that it tries uh, with the new equipment doesn't go as planned. Uh, but Burnham notices that the tardigrade reacted when the drive came online. Yeah. Just getting an idea. Did like the visuals in this sequence? They jump pretty deep into the gravity well of a star and then have to pull out. Yes, yeah. yes, that, that was pretty cool. Um, Stamets gets his nose broken uh, pretty uh, graphically. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Lorca confronts Stamets about his ego and his inability to fix the drive. You know, Stamets says, "Well, let me off, and I'm taking my drive with me." And Lorca's like, "Yeah, my ship, time of war." You're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Or more accurately, you can go where you want. You just ain't taking nothing with you. <laughs> right, right. They also get, get another message from Corvin 2, and this is an audio message. And at one point, the actor reading the audio message says, Zaphod is dead. Oh. And I'm going, <laughs> Zaphod Beeblebrox, the president <laughs> of the galaxy, is dead? <laughs> that has to be someone throwing that in. Uh, yeah. Um, Landry, meanwhile, proves that she's an idiot and uh, mm-hmm. decides to, uh, she's going to cut the uh, claws off of that tardigrade and do it herself because yeah. uh, Burnham is being so wimpy about it. So and she, she re- flushes Callie out the viper tube and it's just you know, one <laughs> mistake after another. She releases the tardigrade in the lab and in an ill, stupid and ill-considered attempt to quickly jumpstart their weapons research. That's my note. Uh, yeah. And she gets clawed to death. And thus opening up a spot on the uh, roster for for a new security chief coming up next week. Uh, On the wrecked Shenzhou, Valk and Lorel, they they get that dilithium processor while uh, uh, getting ready to start dating, I guess, or something. I mean, there's a lot of flirting going on there over that dilithium processor. Uh, By the way, I I liked how the ruined uh, Shenzhou looks because it's been six months. There's no initially... It's open to vacuum. There are ice crystals all over everything, and it just looks nice. Nice set dressing and nice ruined ship. Yep. 
I I did notice a few times that uh, uh, Valk is looking at the uh, the crew manifest and specifically Burnham's uh, record. Yep. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, Lorel tells Valk she doesn't want to lead, but uh, that's interesting. You know, she doesn't want to be in charge of this whole uh, vision. Takuma's vision. She ends up as chancellor. So yeah, <laughs> that's how that ends up. Um, but she Wanda says, Malari said very similar things. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, she she does tell him that she wants to stand behind Valk and be his enforcer and defender. Um, back on uh, Discovery, Burnham uses Saru's lack of a threat response, his ganglia, to the tardigrade as proof that it's not a predator. I'm not sure how that's proof. It just shows that his threat ganglia don't react. Prove yeah, it's, it's on the other side of the force field. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and you can tell from its anatomy, I mean, even though it's got big mole-like claws, it's got a teeny little snout that's clearly not meant for ripping into flesh. Yes, right. right. Saru reacts to her using him in this way uh, by saying, you'll fit in perfectly with Lorca because she uses people too, which is- Oh, nice. snap. Yeah, another, another nice one burn. from Saru. <laughs> um, Burnham finds that the tardigrade's favorite food is spores, and the theory is that it was on the Glen- hunting for food because it's spores mm-hmm. and that it can travel the mycelial network and it has a symbiosis with the spores and they communicate and uh, wavy handies. And it, this is the solution to all of our problems somehow. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of food, call brings food to the uh, Klingon uh, sarcophagus ship because yep. Valk uh, stupidly let him know that they were running short on it. So now he's bribed everybody to coming over to his side. Yeah. Yeah, those Klingons were uh, pretty easy to, to convince the switch. Yeah. Uh, Lure- and even Lorel feigns that she's joining in with him. Yes. Um, but she saves his life because at this point, Cole wants to toss him on an airlock. But she saves uh, Valk's life by proposing a more fitting fate of being left to die on the Shenzhou, which is exactly what she plans to, part of her plan. So meanwhile, the the tardigrade is uh, beamed into the spore drive chamber and connected to this system that stabs it in the gut. Um, that's, yeah. I guess mm-hmm. uh, it, the the drive runs off of a tardigrade fat sucking uh, <laughs> operation or something. But uh, mm-hmm. I forget what they call that. But uh, the and then now that the tardigrade is hooked up, the Galactica is able to do an atmospheric <laughs> jump to New Caprica and yeah. rescue all the people below. <laughs> Wow, there's something very familiar about all this. A lot of connections there. Yeah, gee, I wonder. Yeah. So the the Discovery defeats the Klingons just in time. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, don't defend ourselves just yet. Let them come closer. Let them come closer. Just shoot them. Like, yeah, they're not yeah. going to stop coming if you're shooting at them. Shoot them. And then people run out of the like the, out of the Corvan tunnels as debris is raining down about, around them from these Klingon ships that have been destroyed. Hope nobody got hurt. Um but the, and in the in the wake of that, the crew of the Discovery touches each other a lot in celebration, but they're not really hugs. <laughs> yeah, they're like the touching each other a lot, type, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's very reserved. Uh, the the interesting thing when the tardigrade is beamed into that chamber and connected, the, uh, Bur- uh, Burnham notices how much it's in distress by all of this. It's very stressed out, very upset uh, by what's going on, which you know might be why it got loose the first time yep. on the Glen and killed everybody. Mm-hmm. So then we 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 find uh, Valk left to die on the Shenzhou, uh, but then Lorel beams in and Valk says, "Oh, you've given me my opportunity to kill you." No, no, dummy, I'm here to rescue you. This is part of the plan. Um, this is where she gives him the plan where 
we know he's going to be turned into a sleeper agent in order to infiltrate Starfleet and yeah. win the war somehow. Yeah, so she tells him he's going to go to the matriarchs, he's going to have to sacrifice everything, but somehow, to prove he's the one true torchbearer, he's going to win the war, and that'll let him keep the houses unified. And it's like, how is this supposed to work? He's going to be <laughs> a security officer on a ship. How is that going to how is he going to win the war and... With no and, memory of who he really is, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I, how is this supposed to work? This is not a well-thought-out plan. Right. <laughs> it is not. And it seems very un-Klingon, doesn't it? The sleeper agent. I mean... Well, well she's in the House of Thieves or whatever. And I guess in The Trouble with Tribbles, we also have a Klingon undercover yeah. agent. Yep. So Arn Darvin. Yeah. So I, I guess so. Uh, just different houses, different different ways. Uh we're at the end of the episode, and Tilly tells Burnham that she should open up Jojo's package because she's not afraid of anything, and so it won't beep all mm-hmm. night and keep them awake, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Tilly's real reason. Uh, and uh, Giorgio says in the recorded message that the, the best way to know yourself is to know others, I guess. And she also says she's as proud of Michael as if she were her own daughter. Foreshadowing! Foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. Also... It's effective with an A and an E um, because she's having to watch this will or fragment of a will that was recorded before she betrayed Giorgio. Yeah, right. And when Giorgio is just so proud of her and so pleased with her, she's including her in her will and giving her something her family has had for hundreds of years, she says, which turns out to be a handheld telescope or something. (laughs) <laughs> um, not the cool Navy sailing collapsible type, but a bulky 20th century looking one. It's something you get from Amazon. <laughs> yeah. But apparently they've saved this Amazon telescope for hundreds of years in her family. Mm-hmm. And she's given it to, to Burnham because she doesn't have a real daughter. And that just goes to show the sterility of, uh, 24th century federation lack of pro-life uh pro-family <laughs> ethics right none um, of these captains have families except for one he had yeah. one son uh, yeah actually and that children. was illegitimate yeah uh which well no i was thinking of um cisco but they had two children because oh, cassidy okay. was pregnant so yeah uh, yes. i was More thinking children. about uh kirk oh yes oh there's another one there you go yeah <laughs> who died but in any event so it it is it is kind of you do get this internal wince on Burnham's behalf as she's watching Giorgio being so proud of her knowing un- that <laughs> she's responsible for Giorgio's death. You undoubtedly are commander of your own starship by now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. turn that knife a little more. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that's where we where we end it. Um this the the plot the season-long plot advances a little bit here. We get a little more information. We find out what the Tardigrades for. We're we're starting to get control of the Spore Drive. That will be important for reasons for the rest of the season. Um, we get a little bit of that. We see we see our last uh, Valk. This is the last we'll see of Valk now. And uh, fortunately, fortunately, uh, mm-hmm. but in general, <laughs> I mean, not not the strongest episode of the first season. In but my not opinion. was it the worst either. No, There's far worse. Was no. not the worst. <laughs> I think the worst, uh, worst one is coming up. Actually, uh, might be the next one. Uh, the one where on the uh, where Saru goes all hippy dippy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That might have been might have been the 
worse than the uh, worst episode. But uh, so that's where we are. Any last thoughts about this one, uh, Father Corey? Uh, just kind of one thing. Um, Lorca gives a speech about all these famous inventors and includes Elon Musk. Well, apparently he gave that he added Elon Musk because he was trying to get Tesla to give him a free car. Oh, was it? The, the, the actor was doing that. The actor uh, did that. Jason, Jason Isaac. Isaacs did that because he wanted a free car. He wanted a free Tesla. <laughs> well, the question then is, did he get a free Tesla? I don't know. I never did hear. But <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Jimmy? Nope, nothing else. All right. So before we wrap things up, uh, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including this time Sean N., Greg O., Jordana A., Jason E., and Ricky T., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give, and if you do, you'll get access to the special Short Treks episodes that we're recording for them. Uh, so that's it from us. What did you think of The Butcher's Knife, etc., etc.? <laughs> this this long-titled Discovery episode. <laughs> Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing The Naked Time from the original series, Zulu with an F.A. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Well, thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Uh, my pleasure, and live long and prosper. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, less extraneous words, Tilly. 